0: Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon. Joining me on the other line, she just woke up from a glanders coma, but I'm still going to give her some bad news she doesn't want to hear. It's Danielle Haley. How are you doing, Danielle? How is the Glanders?
1: Glanders sucks, but but I bounced back like a fucking champ, just like Gabriel. Like, I wasn't sick at all. From yeah, coughing blood to, and basically, like, being unconscious to being totally yeah. fine and sitting up and the best. Yeah. Able to do Spycraft in, like,
0: three minutes from waking up from your Glanders coma.
1: He was doing Spycraft from the coma, apparently. Like, <laughs> there was... He didn't miss a beat. I miss more beats in, like, having to wake up today and we got an hour of sleep. <laughs> like, an extra hour in his daylight savings. Yeah. Like, much more sluggish than Gabriel was after his Glanders brush.
0: <laughs> and Gabriel is old, as they point out in this episode. And yet oh my he God. is, like... Up and ready to go. And you know what? Philip and Elizabeth are going to make sure he's ready to go, even if he's not.
1: William was like, he's not in the best shape. And it's like, you're not, it's not, you're not helping. You're not helping, my dude. You're not helping anybody.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Will, William's like, he's literally saved all of their lives.
1: I. You got to hand it to him. Listen, we can get into this in the dossier, but I'm like still not sure that glanders is a thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) because gabriel was ready to like talk hardcore like spy stuff immediately upon waking or just in general
1: because william was like any exposure will be like a full metal shutdown of the world and then like philip spits in his face after essentially like making out with gabriel and (laughs) everyone's fine and Elizabeth is the one that maybe has it? Like, I'm sorry. There's, like, something's happening here. I know this feels a little QAnon, like, from uh, from me, but, like, yeah. something... I don't know. There's, like, 12-dimensional chess happening, but Glanders is not it.
0: <laughs> Keep Danielle away from all pizza places in the greater <laughs> D.C. metro area. And, and
1: like... Like what was it? Wayfarer, the like the cabinets, like in yeah. Hillary Clinton, and like sex trafficking, right? Also part of that. I don't know about Wayfarer, but I.
0: The, I mean, I was making a Pizzagate reference, and I don't no, I know, know it's, the it's details. Part, it's of all part Gate. of the same thing. <laughs> it's of course it is. It all connects, Danielle. <laughs> Jeez, come on. What do you think? I'm a noob here.
1: <laughs> well, that's a a great. <laughs> a great transition so sure (laughs) so just to note that this podcast was recorded during the 2023 sag aftra strike and we just want to acknowledge once again that without the labor of the actors who are currently on strike the show being covered here wouldn't exist and union power got the wga a good deal so we're hoping that it gets the sag aftra folks a good deal as well and hopefully one really soon
0: Yeah, we sure hope so, and maybe even think so. So we are talking about the acting and many more things in American Season 4, Episode 4, Cloramphenicol. I'm going to go with that pronunciation. Written by Tracy Scott Wilson, directed by Stefan Schwartz, and Danielle, I believe you have a summary for us.
1: Yes, the IMDb summary for American Season 4, Episode 4 is... A devastating flaw flaw during a mission.
0: <laughs> I can't even make my way through it. A devastating flaw where everyone got glanders.
1: But it's also like, oh my god, what? A, IMDb makes the wildest choices. Like, hire us to flaw. write your summaries. <laughs> they would be forty-five pages long, but they would, they would be better. <laughs> okay, yeah. keep all of this in. Uh, <laughs>
0: hundred percent.
1: A devastating flaw during a mission forces Philip, Elizabeth, William, and Gabriel to confront the depths of their patriotism and their mortality. In Russia, in striving to be a better person, has Nina put her life on the line?
0: I mean... What is this, like, moralizing (laughs) bullshit? Like, the (laughs) devastating flaw into this moralizing Nina thing, which I understand we somewhat had a dalliance with last week, but in a much better
1: way. Yeah, and also, like... I don't know that we need to put the, like, striving to be a better person part of the Nina arc front and center. Like, that can be part of it and part of how we understand it. But I don't know that that has to be the thing that we summarize.
0: No. Well, I guess they can't say... Uh, they unceremoniously (laughs) executed Nina in cold blood uh, in a shock at the end of the episode. So I suppose striving to be a better person, I guess, is an acceptable substitute, or it's a devastating flaw in the IMDb summary itself.
1: Or they could have, here's what they could have done, Nina also faces her mortality.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: Play on the first go. sentence, my dudes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Apparently, like, part of our smooth brain, transition to further smooth brain podcasting, is now rewriting IMDb summaries, like, as we go, as, like, the hook to our episodes, which is, like, premiere podcasting honestly, 101 bullshit. I love honestly it. Honestly,
1: amazing. Also, in case you, our dear listeners, have not figured it out, we're, we're recording at night again. <laughs>
0: It's it's eight twenty seven PM but, but the it's daylight sun savings time.
1: So <laughs> at four twenty nine. <laughs> so like this is the depths of, of night.
0: Mm-hmm. And our, our brains, our smooth brains think smooth. it's nine twenty seven. So, so smooth you know. We're we're ready to go. <laughs> and
1: nine twenty seven is both of our bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether or not I actually go to bed then it no, is no. my bedtime. <laughs> it's my bedtime. I'm not usually sleeping then. It's around the time where the gummy hits. <laughs> a friend of mine called me this week and was like, i have what well, he was we were talking about a paper that i had written that john has also read and he texted me and was like hey is now a good time to chat or are you stoned it was like <laughs> ten thirty. i was like no i have to teach tomorrow so i'm not <laughs> but i love that that's like your first thought of me yeah I don't know. I think
0: I think for Kellers finale we should all take gummies pre-recording a episode 13.
1: But also should we do it in person?
0: Yeah, probably. I don't know how we're going to make the timing work, but we should go for it.
1: Listen, we haven't released any of these episodes yet. So like <laughs> We can do whatever
0: we want. Our, our our editor is really slacking. We, we should find. Also, him. the person um, who
1: writes our summaries is really fucking off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's that person's a little more responsible when the time crunch hits.
1: Uh, it's is she? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I guess we're talking about, this is the irony, is that like our episodes become increasingly unhinged, and yet we're going to do an episode about structure.
1: Yeah, I um, love it.
0: This for, for four times four. Uh, we're going to talk about the structure of this episode of The Americans in our podcast. Um, and I think the motivation for this is the semi-bottle episode which like we're required by the podcast guilds uh to use that term (laughs) as much as we possibly can this episode the like semi-bottle episode uh nature of this episode plus the ending with nina so like we should i guess start where the episode ends with like there's an actual resolution to the semi-bottle episode and then we get this like very kind of bizarrely bubbly scene of the Jennings all bowling together. Yeah. And it's like... That would have actually made sense as the ending to this episode. It would have been a choice, but I think like a consistent choice with the rest of what's happening. And then they're like, "No, we're gonna hard cut to <laughs> the hardest cut. Mm, yeah, to yeah to Nina's final cut. Yeah. What was your reaction in yeah. the moment when that happened?
1: Well, I similarly was like, okay, this bowling situation, weird, but a much lighter note than like the confronting mortality of. Uh, Glander's mortality in quotations. Um, But then we're, like, literally confronted with Nina's mortality, right? So, like, the episode ends and we get this dream sequence where Nina is, like, freed from the prison and her and Anton, like, walk off or trudge off into the Siberian wilderness, like, through the snow in their sweatsuits. I think,
0: like, the Orani steps is what I would go with. Or step.
1: Yeah. John, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Not a clue. So I I believe you. My prediction,
0: as I've increasingly think about this, and I feel better about this after this episode, is Mm -hmm. that the, like, prison facility, I'm sure we could look this up and find out, but I kind of don't want to at this point. Yeah. uh, I want to say it's, like, we're in, like, south-central Russia— we are like just. I'm getting my direction. We're like just west of the Ural Mountains, kind of on the step to the west of the or- of the Ural Mountains.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Anyway, yes.
0: Please. Sorry. There's community. a step. Like, they're just. In they're just. They're walking into the light, right? Like.
1: Yeah, and then and then it sort of like fades out. It fades out, and and it becomes even clearer that it's a dream sequence. And then Nina is awoken and sort of, and her stuff is unceremoniously packed into what looks like a bag from a bodega. Yeah. Um, yep. And I didn't take to be anything more than they just don't give a shit about this woman's stuff. And that could have been we're setting her free in the living sense or we're setting her free in the dead sense. And she gets taken to, like, before an official, and then she's, she's told that she is being sentenced to death. Shortly, it's happening. Yeah, shortly, shortly. and she kind of staggers backwards, and then she's shot in the head in that exact moment. And Mm -hmm. I, when I saw this, I first of all was like, "Holy shit!" But then I was like, "Okay, well, we got this one dream sequence. Maybe this is another like dream sequence, Mm. sort of the the polar opposite of what had been in the first dream sequence. This is the worst case scenario." But then the body is, like, still laying there. The blood is seeping out of her, of the wound on her head. And then they move the body into sort of, like, a makeshift body bag. And I was like, oh, no, Nina is dead. I was mm-hmm. su- I was shocked because being killed shortly, the juxtaposition between that and, like, Oleg and his dad right before and, and the dad being like, okay, well, like, if you stay here, then I'll we'll figure it out. And then it's like, was he lying? Does he not know? Like... It's un, it was un, that that timeline was is unclear to me right now, but the the entire thing was surprising to me.
0: Well, we also get a contrast not only with the Olya again, equaler part of it, but that essentially the execution by the KGB of Tim and Alice is like stayed or reprieved here, like upon Elizabeth's fever dream and her waking up from the fever dream. So like we have that contrast as well. But oh, yeah. yeah. Even the third or fourth time or whatever it is watching this, like, it's still a kind of total shock when it happens and the way that it happens. There's, like, there's a way that the show films moments of violence that is somewhat different, or what they do with Nina's death is somewhat different. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no preparation, there's no signaling yes. for, like, this moment of violence that is about to happen. And then, like, to your point from a couple minute ago that the camera stays and like yeah. unceremoniously officiously uh like bureaucratically almost just yeah. like observes the like cleanup literally yeah. um after the act but as if nothing had happened there's like no there's like no drama to it and they emphasize that in the sound design right cuz yes. like you get the bang of the gun and then the sound cuts yeah. until they start the strings
1: yeah and i think that your point is exactly right that there's no we we don't there's no preparation for it we don't know it's coming we don't know it's actually going to happen in this moment and all of it is treated as this like this is just a thing that happened like we banged our car into the sidewalk or, like, we knocked over that garbage can or we executed this woman, right? It's, like, there's something incredibly banal yeah. about it. It's, like, maybe it's mm-hmm. the banality of it that's, like, that's, yeah. th- like, I'm struggling with or that's, that's, like, troubling. My brain is, like, a rent, Arendt, Arendt. Well, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. Mine as <laughs> well. We, we are both broken in that way. Um, and... <laughs> It's, it's the banality of it from the perspective of the, like, officials whose perspective yeah. the camera takes on, and, like, I, I can't believe I had not put this together until when you were just talking, but, like, of course— like the trick of this episode is to actually simulate for the viewer what like it would have been like for Nina in the second Absolutely. when she realized the split second when she's realizing what's happening. Except we then like we as we are as viewer removed, but in terms of duration, we have a much longer time with that yeah. like shock
1: in it with her and experiencing it with her, even even as we are alienated from the event like mm-hmm. through the screen, right? Like and then mm-hmm. and that's actually like the genius of. This particular, the way it's staged, the way it's shot, the way the sound design of it, like all of that, feeds into producing a viewer experience that actually gets quite close to the like the shock value of it for Nina more Mm -hmm. than any more than I think a lot of other scenes in the show. And here is not a connection
0: I made before that, like I think the scene that this is most like is when Stan executes Vlad. Yeah. Back in season 1, right? Cuz that's similarly a shot from behind yeah. that is both a slow build up but instantaneous act. The The way it's filmed is a little bit different. Yeah. Because um, we actually get, like, a little—we get a, like, last meal for Vlad because um, Stan brings him, like, the fast food or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he gets his last supper. And, like, Nina doesn't even get that. She just gets awoken from a dream. But, like, I don't know. There's a biblical reference in there, actually. New Testimony things happening there, too. We could go—
1: No, thank can, you. But
0: we'll not, for no. Daniel's sake. Moving on.
1: <laughs> I have to go to a <laughs> baptism this weekend. I have to, like, be in a church.
0: Dunking Ugh. hours. Yes. <sighs> Hopefully, like, hopefully the priest is more into it than Lenny is into baptizing children.
1: Or, I mean, I was thinking about Page's baptism.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> it's just the baptism that's nearest to me is Pope Lenny uh, in his like utter boredom at the act of baptism <laughs> in the Vatican.
1: I listen, I will report back on our next record how this baptism was.
0: I I'm really psyched <laughs> to hear how your experience of that is.
1: Do we have any are there any other points about Nina's execution other I mean other than it's like the the sh- pure shock value that I think I'm yeah. still living through of it? I mean only
0: the only the kind of dream that they hard cut to right so like yeah we have i know we'll talk about the bowling scene later but there's the way in which that is its own fantasy or dream and so then to cut into the nina fantasy or dream that gets so radically and with finality like like cut short um and like ended is i think notable and also that it's and this is similar to the preseason that it's Antone, who is the, like, person, like, yeah. the person, f- like, through whom and with whom she affects in her dream world, is, yeah. I think, notable. And then there's, like, the actual, like, purest level of the fantasy is... Antone gets his paperwork, and, like, Nina has two Aeroflot tickets, right, for them to leave, and they yeah. walk out into the, you know, weirdly lit, fake-ass Siberian or Orani wilderness, <laughs> except it's there's no trees.
1: I mean, the thing that I was thinking about—and this is, like, a bit more of a, like, structural or thematic point Please. than than the ones Please. that you're making— but it's that I think this is the fourth episode in the season where we get a dream sequence.
0: Yes, there's this, which is interesting. Is a season of dream sequences. You're exactly right.
1: It's interesting, and like the dream sequences are doing a lot of work in all of these, both to unsettle the like the audi- audience expectations around these things, right? Because like the dream sequence in this episode made me question whether or not Nina's execution was itself a dream sequence, right? And mm-hmm. I think like similarly with the dream sequence. In the episode, I think it's two episodes ago, where Paige dreams that Pastor Tim has been killed in his weird cabin Mm -hmm. when they're planning to do exactly that, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's also doing some unsettling of of audience expectations, and so I'm sort of interested to continue tracking whether or not we keep getting dream sequences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. From Nina's dreams to fever dreams. (laughs) Eh, eh, Whoa, eh. that's
1: so. That might be your best transition yet. (laughs)
0: Thank you. See if I can beat it further on in the episode. So the, like, bottle episode version of this episode of The Americans is that Philip, Elizabeth, William, and Glanders, coma, Gabriel are, like, stuck in not an actual apartment, but a, like, safe, poorly appointed safe house apartment for, I think it's 36 hours or 48 hours or something. I I know William said it at the end of the preceding episode. And... A lot happens, like, psychically, emotionally yeah. for all of them, even as the only thing that actually happens is, like, they all deal with potentially getting Glanders, and right. Elizabeth's either light Glanders—now, in Danielle's mind, there is only light Glanders and nothing, no other kind of it—or, well, but it... <laughs> or, like, a bad reaction to the antibiotic.
1: The bad reaction to the antibiotic is stupid. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: I thought of it as like you, you know, for like I've been lucky, but like some people, you get the COVID vaccine and like you're fucked for twenty four hours.
1: Yeah, and me that's, that's and how my I dad. Interpreted
0: it. Yeah,
1: no, and and that's that's my I guess like the thing that I'm brushing up against is like the way that William described what Glanders was gonna do, and like and also the way that he's like engaging with inanimate objects, like all around. It's just like. Does not match the I don't know like why are these people not in hazmat suits and why isn't there like why aren't there hazmat suits to be put on in the in the case of this why isn't William in a hazmat suit even if the other even if he's like fuck you guys like you don't get a hazmat suit that motherfucker I'm sure has a hazmat suit and why is it not on him
0: he does yeah this is true this <laughs> so, is like, true
1: that's the thing that I'm I I think that's like it just the response does not match the fervor with which. He was, like, freaking out uh, and, like, justifying his, like, please don't give me more clearance, blah, 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 blah. But, like, now we're just going to, like, have a sleepover on camp beds? Come on. <laughs> uh-huh. We are. Anyway, back to the <laughs> bottle episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, So there's – no, there's – I mean, there's a lot of, like, questions to ask about this. And there's, I think, maybe a, an inward facing to inside of the bottle and then the, like, world outside of yeah. the bottle angle to it. Yeah. Because for – I mean, Philip and Elizabeth in particular, but, like, all three and a half, well, because Gabriel's incapacitated for most of the episode. For them, there's, like, the what emotionally happens and, like, what are the conversations and what are the dialogues and, like, what are the internal psychic states that happen when all of these people who are operators out in the world cannot leave the apartment for however long, right? And, like, they have to contend with and deal with that, that is so distinct from like the normal episode of Philip and Elizabeth, or what we know that William or what we know that Gabriel are doing when they're like off screen, and so it's like a shock to the characters that is also a shock to the viewer, which is why I'm like bottle episode equals cliche, but also I'm kind of okay with it here.
1: Well, and it, it like it the fact that it sets up those like pressure points and like our ability to look in to look into something in a very particular way, Mm -hmm. I -hmm. think like does do a lot of work and does a lot of interesting work at this point in the season. Uh, And like the fact that this season is basically moving like day to day, right? Like this episode picks up right after right where the last episode left. And this is like, again, a theme of this season where we're, where it's, it's not, we haven't advanced a ton of time, like in terms of the la- these four episodes, I
0: mean it's literally just four days. I think yeah, uh, this season sort of because so we get the date like it is pronounced as March eighteenth yeah. to Nina, and if I'm remembering correctly, the finale of season three is March fourteenth, 1983. So it literally is um, four days.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is
0: or, excuse me, March eighth. So it's it's been six or seven days.
1: Yeah, which is like not that many days. <laughs>
0: no considering the like jumps of months that have taken place at other times
1: yeah yeah and and there's something incredible like putting Philip, Elizabeth, William and we'll put in quotations Gabriel <laughs> at least for most of the episode like in this one place and then having Paige and Henry and Martha and Stan having to deal with stuff outside without Philip and Elizabeth, like, sets up a really interesting dynamic in terms of all of the things that are happening in the apartment versus all of the things that are happening outside the apartment. And the way in which the absence of Philip and Elizabeth is felt, even though they are so absent all the time for so many of those people. That's like, a great I think point. That's the interesting dynamic that gets created in the sort of bottle episode.
0: It does, and the episode calls attention to it in I think a useful way with the opening scene of the phone call. Like, and note that they first call like the KGB answering services to call off yeah. the murder of Tim and Alice. And then, secondly, calls Paige. Right. Right, Paige, who, like, so they they show us the clock. It's, like, 12.25 a.m. Paige still up doing homework, waiting for her parents anxiously. And she is, like, freaking out because she thinks it's because of her. Right. And Elizabeth, like, reassures her. And I think she genuinely means that. But yeah. But I don't know. I also read, like, uh, well, Elizabeth maybe isn't the most mad if Paige feels a little guilty for having told Tim and Alice. Like, her spy brain is thinking that, even as Carrie Russell doesn't, like, portray Elizabeth like, consciously thinking that, I have to assume that's happening somewhere. Like, Paige is crying, Paige is upset, and, like, first and most consciously, Elizabeth is concerned about that and wants to reassure her. Yeah. But I think there's also a way in which, like, Elizabeth runs her assets is also happening, too.
1: I think that's right, and I think that's why later in the episode, where she has the like, yeah. I have to call Paige moment when she's like in her <sighs> own fever dream. I think, yeah. I think that is the guilt of I'm running my daughter, coming to like to find her in the midst of in the in the midst of all this. So I think yeah. you're, you're right that like she's running Paige, even if she's doing it. Um, at least somewhat subconsciously, like, because, like, she only knows how to be in survival mode.
0: And her unconscious is trying to deal with all of this by, like, during her fever dream, literally returning her to her <laughs> childhood. y'all has some controversial takes about this, which I guess you just want to get them out now.
1: Well, I just, like, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, john and i got on this call this is, uh, a little bit earlier tonight actually a way little re- bit earlier like two hours <laughs> ago. way earlier than we started recording we had a lot to catch up on we did uh, we did <laughs> um and i was like i'm over like flashbacks to russia thank you very much and also like baby elizabeth does not look like carrie russell
0: this is a like central disagreement where I think that like child Elizabeth is actually a perfect child version of Carrie Russell.
1: But is it because she's better at speaking Russian than Carrie Russell is? is? Could that be part of the reason why you like her? Oh, you think that like I'm that that's a it's, a it's a plausible theory, but like I actually think that there's
0: like a resemblance. Like I could imagine that as you know, what like 10, 11, 12 year old Elizabeth.
1: Sure, but I, I guess the other thing that I—and this is this is an aside—but like Oleg's dad looks like he's four years older than him. <laughs> strong I disagree like, on this, this one. This guy as well. does not look old enough to have a son the age of Oleg. He looks like he could be his maybe his older brother. <laughs> I was like <laughs> casting choices in this episode wild. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, we'll we'll get into <laughs> yeah, other yeah, a little yeah. bit later just on. A we'll, we'll we'll do some we'll do some IMDbing and looking up some actor ages right. uh, in that in right. that version. For everyone's favorite, uh let's type stuff uh while we record. Um everyone All
1: narrate just like Amanda does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Um I liked that. I liked that scene. Because I think the flashbacks to Russia this season have worked yeah. for Philip and Elizabeth. And also that the way it does, it's able to pull off this seemingly impossible thing. And I think the fact that it can only happen in Elizabeth's dreamscape is telling. Like, there's no narrative ability, structural ability to make Paige and Elizabeth like interchangeable or for them to be like analogs or parallels to one another. That's mostly hard to do with... And we've gotten some exceptions about that, I guess, like, earlier this season. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this in episode one or two. Yeah. Um, But, like, that's so hard to pull off. But we have Elizabeth's mother. If I die, you're, like, going to go to my cousins in Tula. Yeah. Uh, You've been a good daughter, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, like... Elizabeth in that dream is like a couple years younger than Paige is now, but like she also babies Paige a tiny bit. So like that makes sense. And there's just a way in which it creates this analog between the two of them that is much harder to do than Paige and Kimmy, Paige and Martha, Paige and Nina. Like all these like parallels we've looked at over the years.
1: Well, and I think also I I think that your analysis there is, is spot on. And and I think the other thing that it does is like. It's, yeah, Elizabeth baby's page, but both of these, both Paige and younger Elizabeth are being forced to, like, grow up quite rapidly uh, in these mm-hmm. moments, right? Like, the... We Are Spies, You Fucked Up by Telling Pastor Tim, is a yeah. is a real wake-up call for Paige in terms of, like, coming into her adulthood in a really particular way, in a way that I think structurally, I think what Elizabeth's dream is telling us is that, like, that was a similar wake-up call that she went through when confronted with the mortality of her mother, who doesn't end up dying then. We know that she only dies, like, a couple of episodes ago, but, like... I think that confrontation and like the being confronted with mortality in those ways is like, uh, it's similar to what is happening with Paige in terms of the stakes and the implications and the consequences of knowing that her parents are spies being let into this world, and like this major misstep that is about to have all of these other consequences that like she doesn't even fully understand, which is part of what is causing her the stress
0: and thus, when Elizabeth finally like wakes up and is recovered from. Like, glanders vaccine, you know, whatever uh, the situation is, like, her, she tells Philip that Philip was right and they can't yeah. kill Pastor Tim and Alice, right? And that, like, she, she says, we work Tim and Alice, not the other way around, right? Yeah. So Elizabeth is like, we can't do it. And Philip is like, we can't run. Or And, you know, so then Elizabeth's solution is, all right, well, we'll just suspend Tim and Alice and will work them as if they're our agents and enlist. And, and by necessity, they have to then enlist Paige to be able to do that. So even as this yeah. is a reprieve for Paige by them not killing Tim and Alice, yeah. it's also a like further um, like inculcation of her into spying.
1: Which is also... Precisely what Gabriel is ready to deliver as he wakes up from his coma. He's like, "Well, I gotta give him something, so I'm giving him Page. You're welcome." It's like those wheels were turning for him while he was like on his death. Oh end. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did not get his
0: dreams, but his dreams were like, "How do I fucking manipulate these fucking <gasps> oh, assholes who make my life so difficult?"
1: Who gave me glanders? Because <laughs> they gave me glanders. Glanders still the worst name of a disease. Like this is. I
0: guess we just are getting all of our, like, light conflicts about the Americans out in the open, because I think it's a fucking amazing <laughs> no, and hilarious name like for it's... a disease.
1: Okay, listen, I, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up, but, like, I can't, Glanders and Flanders, like, I can't. I mean, so obviously the intro, like, I had to
0: practice with my with myself muted saying yeah. Glanders coma to be sure I could do it with only saying a minimal laugh, because, like, <laughs> it's just a great name, and it's no. so versatile in how you use it in a sentence. It's glanders coma. Like nope. if you had an actual disease name, you wouldn't be able to just say like glanders or glanders coma.
1: Like the the name of the episode, cl- clora- chlorophyll. Chlor- <laughs> I keep wanting to say chlorophyll, <laughs> <laughs> which is like maybe the last time I thought about science. <laughs> thinking about chlorophyll. <laughs> Wow, um, real throwback to fourth grade there, lima beans and whatnot.
0: <laughs> lima beans, is that what you how you learn about like the plant yes, cycle? Photosy- photosynthesis. A, that's the term. That's right. Uh, you have to grow a lima nice.
1: bean. <laughs> cool. Did you not have to do that?
0: No. Fucking Texas. Did Did you eat fucking Texas? Did you eat your lima bean when you had grown it? No. As like a symbolic act.
1: Why? <laughs> <laughs> Who's trying to like eat a lima bean in fourth grade? <laughs> I don't know. Give me some gummy bears. <laughs> Can I grow a gummy? Can I grow an airhead? Ah, <laughs> uh, airheads. I know. My That's... little sister, when I was at home over the summer, Tori like went to, I think at Target, like came back with six airheads. Like, in a package. And I was like, can I have what one? A, what a sister. <laughs> I go, can I have one? She goes, no. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> please? She's like, okay, but not the red one. And I was like, it's literally the only one I want. I was like, fine, I'm taking the white one.
0: <laughs> the Like, we were a, like, Borders Books household growing up. And, like, Wild. go to the... Go to Borders, like get books or whatever, um, and they would always have a huge Airheads display at the checkout of Borders for reasons that I do not understand. So it was like what a fucking borders. day. I got I got a book and I got an Airheads. Thank you, mom and dad.
1: For our next tattoo date, I'm gonna bring us Airheads. I strongly support that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if we're gonna do the turn this like phrase into no. an image, we got to get on that.
1: We are, and we do.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, I,
1: I feel like I've come around to the, like, no quotes. That feels like the right call.
0: Well, no quotes until you finish your book. Yeah, no, I'm getting to Chorus on my yeah. arm.
1: That's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, okay. And you can get it, too, if you want. <laughs>
0: i'll get so i'll go with you and i'll get something else that one i think is like that's that's one for you one for me (laughs) one for us one for you
1: (laughs) we're gonna get back to this episode in a minute but i we we were talking about the like whether or not the wave metaphor in wgs 101 is like the best way to think about feminist organizing and like like organize our understanding of feminist histories And so I was, like, drawing the things that the students were offering on the board. So one was, like, what about, like, a destructive forest fire that, like, clears the ground for, like, future growth? Obviously amazing. Good work, students. Great work, students. This is one of my students who, one of my favorite students. And, like, they are um, WGS Environmental Studies. So it was, like, such a perfect metaphor. But anyway, I was, like, oh, and, you know, we start with the wave. So I, like, drew the wave. I drew waves on the board. And a bunch of students were like, Oh my God, Professor Hanley, like, you're so good at drawing a wave. Aww, and I was like, Oh well, so like sweet. I have it's one ta- surfing. Well, I was like, I have one tattooed on my on my like body, on my like behind my ear. So I showed the students in the front. I like showed them. And they're like, Did you draw that one too? I was like, No. <laughs> you think I drew the tattoo on my own body? No, I did not. But I love the faith you have in me. This is like <laughs> I support them. Yeah. Can I tell you how
0: broken my brain is? When you were talking about the waves, I thought, and be, this is we're primed for like later oh, no. this episode. Thank I you. thought we were doing the fucking Play-Doh Republic, the three <laughs> waves, and then and then you took it in a different direction. But like when you first said waves, I was like, I don't, I don't see it. But I'm interested to how we're gonna do this when we get double Play-Doh. Listen. It's all the cave.
1: It's all the cave. Yeah. Nighttime, it's always already all the cave. So I am on a panel yes. about Barbie on campus tomorrow
0: and I texted I'm Danielle. So excited. A A to see if my joke was an okay joke to Amazing start my joke. presentation off with. And B, um, to let her know that it's just all the cave.
1: Sometimes when I'm talking to other people who are not political theorists, I'm like, you have to get your mind out of the cave because these people are not gonna understand you. And then I oh, like see I go I think
0: the message should be you all have to get in the cave. Put the burden on them to meet you and your intellect and broken brain smoothness
1: <laughs> broken brain smoothness, please yeah. come into my broken brain smooth cave <laughs>
0: yeah, that's not creepy at all. Uh, um, I think you need to drop that one into the sister group chat and see what happens
1: the The cave or the
0: smooth brain the what whatever phrase you just said, just like they won't.
1: They they will roast me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. That's why I won. I think you should do it now, and then before we leave <laughs> the episode, check in to see what like the best roasts were.
1: I did send them the a screenshot of our text when I was like, "This is your telos," and you're like, "This is our telos," <laughs> and they were like, "We don't know what this word means, and we hate you." <laughs> so <laughs> So I feel like I'm going to spare them the broken brain smooth cave because they already are mad at me for, for now. having a secret language not with them.
0: <laughs> Fair. I, I respect that. Um, oh I guess the episode.
1: Uh,
0: uh. um so, two people whose brains are extremely broken but also maintain a level of clarity are Philip and William. So, like, this conversation that they have yeah. while Elizabeth is, like, struggling on the camp bed um, is extremely telling yeah. for both characters, right? So, for William, it's the, like, 20 years is a long time. It's nice what you have. William says this is not the kind of job where, like, you can really do it and be alone, right? Um. And William's deep sadness, even as he sees the tensions that exist between Philip and Elizabeth, which are not particularly hidden uh, in this Bottle episode, is poignant. But then I think even more so is what Philip tells William, right? So as William points out that, like, well, Philip gives the whole story about Paige and everything, and, like, William says nobody sane would do this work— Philip says she would. Yeah. And then William's like, you? I'd like to be normal.
1: I'd like to be normal. oof. I know.
0: That one hit hard.
1: Well, and, like, and then the the thing, so one, William's, like, the loneliness and the way that he thinks was talking about loneliness was, like, I, I agree, like, so poignant and also, like tough and it makes some of the ways that he engages things make a little bit more sense but Mm -hmm. when philip Mm -hmm. said i i want to be normal and then the parallel to that is like when elizabeth's like if i die like (sighs) be american like take the kids and be american like you could make it here you know like there's something about the way that elizabeth understands and we've seen this tension from the beginning right that like philip is like i'm fine not being a spy like i'll i'll buy my american muscle car and like drive around and be <laughs> be totally fine right and elizabeth is like go do it be american like there's there's like a deep understanding of philip in that moment that is, is. also like um paralleled when she asks him about how est deals with Ooh. death like which again is like I f- sometimes I feel like Elizabeth and Philip are missing each other, and like even though the S stuff is so wild and so like out of pocket for for like the the ness of it all, the fact that that's the thing that Elizabeth keeps coming back to, and she like wants to understand it, I think says something about the the like depths or the strength of their relationship, even yeah. though the like fissures and cracks are all always so visible and there's something about the conversation with William that like brings all of that to light a little bit more brilliant and i think
0: it effectively contrasts with the structure of the episode again yeah. because there's a way in which and this was my initial reading and it's only about hearing you talk that like i've corrected this i think that the being stuck in the apartment is representative or symbolic of, like, their own kind of stasis and their conflicts or their stasis. And they're, like, in those fissures that you were just Mm -hmm. mentioning. And yet, you're pointing out the way that Elizabeth's dream, the like, that conversation is indicative of how there is still emotional and psychic and familial movement, even in this context of, like, multiple kinds of stasis or in, like, a Cold War at home as much as it is a Cold War, like, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, um, with lots of hot wars in both cases. So... Yeah, so maybe it's like not so much that they're in stasis, but that actually it's the like they are forced to stop unless their psyches have to deal with some of the shit
1: that's between them. Yeah, or or that like oh, I hate myself for saying this. Oh, oh yes. Both band, right? Like oh. they, they are like both in a kind of stasis, but one that is only Like, they're in, like, a kind of psychic stasis, right? Yes. But it's only evident to them when their bodies stop moving, when they stop filling their time with other things, right? When they're no longer able to obscure the, like state of stasis that they're in with one another
0: a certainty or recognition of that on their parts that i think provides them the resolve to to do what they do and that like even gets attention called to it in the episode cuz you know, when they tell Gabriel, yeah. like, we're not going to kill Tim and Alice. We're going to work them. We're going to try to maintain this. And he gives them the, you would be living in a burning house, which is Philip's, a great analogy. Great analogy. And, <laughs> and they're like, we already do. Like, Philip's what's new? like,
1: no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> I was expecting him to say that, which is my mom's favorite statement. Ah. Vicki Hanley loves a no shit Sherlock.
0: <laughs> but he was
1: like, yeah, we already are. And in, in, in my brain, I was like, yeah, Phillips has been trying to not be a spy for four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> like, they know.
0: <sighs> yeah. And this then brings Gabriel to, like, his own tragic reverie, like, about what I'm assuming are references to, like, Stalin's rise to power yeah, and, like, purges of the various, like, spy networks and, like, competing organizations and, like, successor organizations to other spy organizations, like, in the th- 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't help but think about like the um the Gabriel Claudia stuff a little bit in his mm-hmm. like reverie. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't quite place it, but it felt like that that must have been in there too.
0: Yeah. Although like I'm also thinking about how the eight how old is Gabriel in this show?
1: Listen, I feel like Frank Langella is a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. Because, <laughs> like, for him to have, like, been
0: in, like, say, the late 20s, if he was, like, even if he was 20, then that would put him, like, pushing 80 in this show, right? If I'm doing math correctly. Yeah. Like, in his 70s. So,
1: yeah, no, I guess it works. I feel like TV math is never a good thing to do. It's, like, he's old yeah. and was old enough to live through that stuff. And we know great, that he's, like... Great point. Well, we also know that, like, he wasn't doing this job for Like, he had retired and comes back because, like, Philip and Elizabeth are unmanageable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. To say the least.
1: Right? Like, and so he was... At, at, He's at least old enough to not have been a handler anymore. And, like, yeah. you can't imagine that they, like, let them retire at, like, the, a nice age of 50. <laughs> you
0: know? No, that's not the Soviet productivist way. <laughs> like,
1: that's the Americans' math that I think we're, like, we're safe doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. I love it. <laughs> should we talk about the characters on the outside of the bottle? Yes. Yeah. Where do you want to go first? I think we should probably start with Martha. Yes. Um, Martha. Still alive. They did something interesting with Martha's makeup in this episode. It's like oh. they portrayed her, I think, as having... It's as if she had aged five years since the last episode with the way they had done her makeup here. Huh. And so, like, there's a way, I think, even in visually they're cueing in to her that even though we literally saw her 24 hours before or something, like the yeah. weight of this experience when she is in the office or when she's, like, yeah. frantically calling... Clark, quote unquote, um, from her house oh while God. downing a <laughs> bottle of wine for her date pregame, um, where like they're trying to depict the wear that's having on her, but like she is rightfully and fully understandably like totally frantic. She thinks she's about to be arrested. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, um, or about
0: to be found out. Or yeah. She or Clark's about to be found out. Like she thinks the end is essentially arrived. Yeah. A different end than the end you think is coming for her, but an end nonetheless.
1: Listen, we would all be better served if that end would just fucking get here. <laughs> would we? No, we wouldn't because like th- this these are some of the best scenes of the episode to be honest and like and the tension that the tension that is present in the Martha scenes is amazing and like she's such a good actress. So it's not that but it's like I just can't believe that like she's still alive. But anyway, we'll get to that in the dossier. Um, no, I hadn't thought about, like, visually the wear, but you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about the makeup, but you're absolutely right that, like, she appears to have been worn down by the last, like, the events of the last, I guess, like, couple of weeks. Or, like, it's probably yeah. for her, like, a uh-huh. little bit longer, like, s- since the Clark reveal and all that. But the phone call to oh Clark is, like... The most intense reaction that we've seen from her in, I think, the entire series, right? Like, I would say that her acting there and, like, the trying to convey to Clark's answering machine that something is up and it's bad, but not wanting to, like, say what it is fully because she's afraid that there might be a bug or, like, someone's Mm -hmm. listening, right? Or, like, that the end Mm -hmm. is coming, like that she does that so well and it's like you're afraid the entire time that she's going to say too much right like and also that she's like we know that Clark can't get to the answering machine and yep. is not going to be able to talk to her. And mm-hmm. so, like, it's it's for nothing. And then there's there's tension there, too.
0: On a pure emotional identification with a character level, I want her to be able to say more. Because I want her to get out and be able to, like, vocalize yeah, and yeah. voice and articulate, like, the... the uh, turbulence yeah. and disruption of her life and herself and her psyche that she must be experiencing. And we see experiencing through the franticness of, th- of the phone call, through the drinking, through whatever. And so I want her to be able to do that, but she can't. And you're right. The way that Allison Wright acts that scene when so it's good. just her in the room, yeah. right? Like, there's, there's no other characters that she gets to act off of. That's just her and the phone and the bottle of wine and the couch.
1: And, like oftentimes with I've like a couple of friends who are actors so oftentimes when you're like acting on the phone you're acting against someone on the phone right like you're Mm -hmm. even if you're the other side of a phone call like usually it's like the line producer or someone else that's like on the you might not be acting against the other actor but you're acting against someone on the phone but she's not acting against anyone right because this is an answering machine message so this is just her acting and like we have so many scenes of her just having, like, amazing reactions. And so, like, that too, just in terms of the, like, the mechanics of it are incredibly impressive.
0: Where would you rank her in Adderold date in terms of most awkward first
1: dates? Well, it wasn't in a church, so... <laughs> <laughs> Damn.
0: (laughs) I had forgotten about that story. (laughs) Oh my god. I also I also just saw Killers of the Flower Moon yesterday. And at one point, uh, my friend Tony, who I was seeing it with, leans over, and this is like one of an early scene between Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and the Lee Gladstone. And he is, like whispers to me, "This is the most awkward first date ever." And this, and like literally the <laughs> night before, I like had watched this, and I have in my notes the most awkward first date ever uh, <laughs> between Martha and Adair
1: Three very good calls. Um, no, this is a very awkward first date. Well, and also because Adderholt is like, it isn't a date. Like, I'm not, you know, it's totally fine if you don't want to, like, yeah. tell me that you're dating yeah. anybody. And Martha's like, I'm dating a married man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it was, that was so interesting to me because yeah. she's like, and and again, this is like, this is such a good encapsulation or even like microcosm of the character of martha which is like she is so good at compartmentalizing and and like telling the truth ish right like so she's offering like uh like an emotionally true telling of her like life situation while factually it's not true right but the emotional weight is it like Fully there, and you're sort of getting this from her in this way that we haven't, I don't think we've seen from her, especially not since she learned about like Clark's true identity and whatnot. Like, we see her pushing that aside all the time. And so that was, like, so fascinating to me. To push it even
0: further, she's also factually right because she is dating slash married to a married man, right? So, like, she doesn't know how right she is in this semi-lie she has constructed for herself.
1: Well, yeah, but also the thing that I was thinking is, like, well, she is dating a married man. He's married, quote-unquote, to her. But, like, she like that's also sort of true and sort of a lie right so yep. like it works on all these different levels and it's like really it was like this is and and sort of similar the fa- the similarity i was i was thinking about as i was watching that scene was that in the est like, scenes with Philip where he gets to, like, sort of tell the truth about his life to a group of people who he's not fully Mm. telling the truth to, but, like, they Mm -hmm. also don't care, right? Like, there's something about the lack of investment that the Est community has in Philip's, like, whatever he's doing. And Adderholt, like, doesn't really care. He's just, like, trying to keep her out of the house so that Stan can, you know... Burgle her, <laughs>
0: find her gun, find her gun in her Kama Sutra, like Stan is like Danielle. Danielle, Stan is in tune with the arrows, situation. <laughs> he got his found sex and death all in Martha's nightstand,
1: literally within a minute of each other.
0: <laughs> and like the the thing that the th- inadvertently good at his job,
1: but also the thing that I, <laughs> this is
0: terrible. <laughs> Please.
1: I think he's more turned on by the gun than the Karma Sutra. <laughs> That's a true late night recording.
0: Jim. Not, not wrong. Not wrong. Like um, he just like
1: the way that he pauses over it and kind of fondles it. I was like, what's happening here? Is is this uh Pocahontas handing John Smith the phallus as the as Ann Norton w- once told her 18 year old freshman? <laughs> Have I never told you yeah. that story? <laughs> oh. oh my God, Anne! That's I, an
0: off the air story or an on? No, air no, story? No, no, it's
1: it, it's totally an on air story. Okay, it, this is a story that we tell like all the. So I TA'd for Anne. I must have been my fifth year because I was like TAing. I was like uh, TAing after I needed to TA for American Political Thought because like the cohorts below me had like less theorists, so there were like theory classes that needed TA. So anyway, I was like TAing for Anne. With my friends Nate and Archana, Anne, in American Political Thought, sort of inexplicably, like, asks the student, like, plays multiple clips from Pocahontas. It's like, why do we need to do this? But anyway. And there was, like, a scene in Pocahontas where Pocahontas hands John Smith a gun and Anne, like, pauses the the movie. And to a room full of 18-year-olds, like, 150 18-year-olds, she's like, Uh well... That's where Pocahontas handed John Smith the phallus and, like, and then, like, has, like, a couple of lines about Lacan. All of us are like, what is happening here? Because it's, like, the most Anne moment in the entire world. And also, like, you can't say phallus to 18-year-olds at Penn, anyway. (laughs) But, like, I had a flash of that moment when Stan's like, ooh, a tiny little gun. (laughs) 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 Like, he gained some respect for Martha in that moment in a very weird way. More than respect, it sounds like, upon your telling of the story. (laughs) Not quite great books after Dark.
0: (laughs) I have a lot more thoughts about the date between them. Yeah. I... I loved this little thing that they picked up where there's an outside establishing shot of the restaurant where they're having dinner. Yeah. And the building next door is, a, is like, marked as a fallout shelter. And I just thought that was, like, a, <laughs> here is the, like, sign of the emotional damage that yeah. is being wrought <laughs> upon Martha. And they, like, she's on this date and the next building over is a nuclear fallout shelter. So there's that. And then there's the contrast between the, like, jaunty music of, I guess, Stan's spy scene, but when they play that with Martha and Adderholt, like, in the early stages of the yeah. date, before Martha, like, kind of takes control and, like, spins out her story, which I loved. And then there's, again, your point of, like, Martha telling semi-truths in the most put-together way <laughs> she possibly can, wow. which is remarkable, because... She's kind of right that like she's you know she says, she says she's not embarrassed she says she it's not awkward to her, yeah that most people wouldn't understand all true the most honest relationship ever false many lies detected right like the least honest most gaslighty relationship ever, and then there's the funniest line I think of the whole part of it where it's like she says it's yeah we're it's discreet but it's not like we're wearing wigs and sneaking into metal I the hotel. I that's lost my mind that's literally Clark I job I lost
1: my mind when that she said that That is his job Not only is that his job that was like what broke you when I he know. unclips his wig in a very creepy way like he mm-hmm. is literally wearing wigs <laughs> uh-huh but there's and a-
0: sneaking into around into her apartment and now they can't even go to her apartment anymore she has to go to his quote-unquote apartment where
1: they sleep on a sofa bed roughly.
0: Um,
1: yeah the like reddest of a- flags <laughs> does he <laughs> does he not have a real bed he's not your husband <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, because it's not even like it's like this is like a date and they go back and there's a sofa bed, which is a red flag. This is supposedly your
1: husband. If I went back to a guy's place and he had a sofa bed, I would be like, no, thank you.
0: Bye. A little, uh,
1: John, and I would literally leave.
0: <laughs> you yeah, know, it's the equivalent of like there are no books,
1: <laughs> right? That reality is just horrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be as like... Hit as hard by that as I would. Me neither. I didn't <laughs> end it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. <laughs> Martha. Martha. Martha.
0: um, You drew a connection that was useful between Martha and Paige in this episode that maybe we should turn to as we are approaching the hour mark of this podcast.
1: Literally, we're four seconds away. From it. So I was thinking that, like, both Martha and Paige, there's like the absence of Philip and Elizabeth leads to an immense amount of tension and immense—and there's sort of, a like, a vacuum felt by both of them. And I feel like the vacuum is most evident for Martha in the phone call, right? And then, like, we see the fallout of that, that, like, Stan is, like, in her place— and then uh-huh. you, we also get, like, a similar kind of ratcheting up of the tension in the absence of Philip and Elizabeth for Paige in her interaction with Stan. And it's interesting that Stan is, like, part of both of these, right? Because, like, on Very the one hand, with Martha, this is like an instance of Stan being good at his job, question mark. But with Paige mm-hmm. and the Jennings more broadly, Stan is bad at his job. He has failed to Correct. be suspicious of them at all after, like, the first, like, time he was suspicious of them, right? He That has gone away. And so he is... We we know that he's not asking after Philip and Elizabeth because he's like, oh, what are those spies up to? We know that he's just like, where are your parents? That's weird. They're not here. Yeah,
0: Henry just came over and asked for milk. Yeah, for they're, they're anything about, so...
1: Talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, like... But Paige is so paranoid already and paranoid about the Pastor Tim stuff. And we know that she's paranoid about her parents being gone, yep. that like she is experiencing that as in, in a kind of accusatory way, right? And so. Both with Martha and Paige, you get this, like, ratcheting up of tension precisely because of the absence of Philip and Elizabeth. So the bottle episode, what it does is it shows us sort of, like, how necessary they are in these these spaces that we're not always aware of their necessity, which I think gets back to the, like... The point that you were making earlier about, like, stasis and and having to stop and then sort of being confronted with all of this stuff. Not only are Philip and Elizabeth confronted with, like, the sort of psychic weight of their reality, but also those outside of their small bubble are confronted with the sort of, like, the weight or weightiness of... The Philip and Elizabeth's presence in their absence. That's a good
0: interpretation. That's a, yeah. Oh, (laughs) we love an absent presence or present absence. I always forget (laughs) which one is which, but both and. Uh,
1: Will. (laughs) <laughs> Keller, you're welcome. <laughs> gotta be our fifth one. We have so I... many cannolis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was texting with him a couple of weeks ago and I prefaced this. We were texting and like he said a like either-or thing, and I said, I'm happy to pay the $50. It's a both end.
1: <laughs> um a,
0: like, litter of, like basically verbatim text for me to me to John. Um So there's I like that because there's something about the the constant movement of, and, like, f- keeping all the plates spinning for Philip and Elizabeth. Yeah. That, like, the plays that are being spun, Martha, Paige, whatever. Like, in the absence of them keeping things going, like, they crash further. Like, they're yeah. already fucked over emotionally, physically, like, psychically, potentially physically as well in the future. And, like, they they require, nonetheless, like... Elizabeth and Philip to kind of keep them going or like prevent that full weightiness from being directly and consciously experienced.
1: I think that that's right. And I think that it's sort of like once you start realizing that you're juggling, then it becomes really difficult to juggle, right? like Mm. That Mm -hmm. once you're conscious of the balls falling into your hand, it is no longer easy to keep the balls moving. Like there's something about that momentum that working Momentum for what i was looking for <laughs> i kept thinking inertia i'm like it's not inertia that's not what i'm going for this is really a moment of shared smooth brain like in <laughs> fucking action <laughs> you're welcome everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god
0: age so, and then it ends in bowling then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is exactly where I was gonna go. Like from the weightiness of like the absent, absent presence, like the page and stand, da 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 Like from all of that, the like, and, and also the like Gabriel wakes up and like he's fine. Basically, like he was almost dead, but now he's not. And then like they come home, Paige is so happy to see them, like for the first time literally ever. <laughs> Yeah. Wild. And then, like, the last scene of that part of the episode is, like, they are out bowling, like, having a great time as a family, even though if it were me and my parents had promised to take us to Epcot, and then they were like, we didn't go because we had to, like, go to work, I would have been pissed. <laughs> yeah. But, so they go bowling, and the thing that, like... Well, the kids
0: are so so starved for attention and quality family time like, together bowling that it they're is. like, this is the fucking best.
1: But the thing that like really stuck with me, and I said this to John before we started recording, is like Elizabeth out in public is like making jokes about being a spy and talking in a Russian accent, which just feels in- incredibly insane to me.
0: <laughs> or is it like crazy like a fox? The best strategy ever: hiding in plain sight. Hmm? Hmm? Both ends, probably not. <laughs> 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 Damn. you got me again <laughs> Especially when Paige is asking her, like, louder than she should, so did they teach you to bowl during, while they were during training? Um, In Soviet oh Russia, God. we are
1: not oh, the, the pins bowl you. Like, that's basically what Elizabeth
0: said. That's <laughs> <Pasha>, Yes.
1: <laughs> I, I,
0: I wish I should have written it down, but the closed, because I've watched things with closed captioning on, which is anti Danielle, I know. But, so um, do all my the, sisters.
1: Like, I was at Tori's this week. <laughs> she's got yeah, like
0: identify with the rest of the hand she's got here. closed
1: caption on fucking peacock it's like we're watching vanderpump <laughs> rules why do you need to hear what these people are saying they're just yelling nonsense
0: look when we do our scandaval winter <laughs> break episode oh i god. will be watching you with closed captions on
1: i forgot that that was even a possibility and i just got so excited <laughs> holy shit oh my god i got to do it right i kind of remember to do no, it. No, we have to do it, but you know who we should have on when we do it. Jenny Forrestal, because she's watching all of Vanderpump for the first time and keeps texting me every season. This is actually amazing. She keeps texting me every season like, these people are terrible. Like, what horrible people? And I'm like, you're in season two. Wait till you get to season 10. Like, terrible. Like, what they're doing now is just, like, they're just, like, cheating on 21-year-old boyfriends and girlfriends. It's, like, it's shitty. Yeah. like, it gets so much worse.
0: Great. I've signed me up. She has no major life things happening in the near future to prevent her from podcasting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do have to shout out Jenny's partner Craig. So I, as you probably saw, I posted a on my Instagram story yesterday. I posted a a shot of Tori's Peloton bike, and I was like, "Uh, "Is it even a Hamley apartment if there isn't one of these? We all have one. It's like honestly pretty wild." And Craig (laughs) like texted me and was like. um... Be honest, is this just, like, another way that you can be in competition with your siblings? And I was like, yes, we are, percent. and I'm winning. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I have the most minutes logged on Peloton.
0: <laughs> I believe it. If, of course. Who would win the Hanley sister bowling competition?
1: Oh, um, so we go bowling every year. Okay. We do bowling with my my uncles and aunts, sort of like during Christmas. It's like a bunch of birthdays sure. all at the same time. It's like my birthday, my yeah. uncle's birthday, my cousin's birthday. It's like every so we always go. I have started so to, the, it's
0: all it's all Capricorns
1: in the Hanley extended family. The, yeah, these are like Corleys, but it's a, there are a lot of Capricorns. Okay. It's aggressive. Okay. actually, I guess Michael is a Sagittarius. My dad and my, my dad okay. and my cousin are Sagittarius, and then. Sure, I like it. Go with it. <laughs> it was like
0: we're in the cave. We're in the like, cave. It's the, fine.
1: Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we go bowling every year, and like, Tori is actually pretty good. But you know who's the best? Is my brother. My brother is a fucking nice. amazing sure. at bowling. Coming I through. need bumpers, and I still don't do well. Same,
0: <laughs> same, and same. Well,
1: you could be invited this year. The it's great! Hanley family would gladly invite you to, like, the bowling <laughs> extravaganza. It involves, there's a lot of appetizers.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: Um, lots of French fries,
0: <laughs> obviously. Love, love a French fry. Um,
1: and my mom is, like, the least competitive of her siblings. My uncle is, like... Crazy, and we always break up into teams, and I always end up on the fucking team with my uncle, and I'm a terrible bowler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot of pressure. I don't like um, it. So. We can talk off-air about how the person that I'm dating, also a Capricorn, which is a uh, notable development.
1: Interesting. I feel like we yeah. need producer Amy to, like, weigh in for me so that I understand <laughs> what the significance of that is.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Unofficial co-host Regan of Young Pope fame, who is a major yeah, yeah. Uh, astrology person, said that, like, generally the vibes would not be great, but because you and I are besties, I've, everything's good. Oh, huh. That was her take.
1: But also, isn't the, like, moon and rising, like, isn't that going to do yeah, yeah. some work there, too? Yeah, Absolutely. I hope producer Amy is listening to this and, and is <laughs> proud of me proud of me for like remembering that Moon and Rising were things. <laughs> or as I think so. as Caitlin, my sister would say, it's all fake. It's fake. It's fake. It's all fake. <laughs> if anybody the, the brings up any astrology, it's fake. It's all fake. <laughs> like, okay.
0: <laughs> so we so when Caitlin comes on, hopefully later this season, my first question shouldn't be, Caitlin. So Danielle and I want to know I need to know. Danielle and I were talking about this. And it's become a running theme of the show. What is your sign? Oh my Can God. you do your big three? Like
1: <laughs> she definitely does not know her big three. She knows what her sign is, but she's like, it's fake. It's all fake. Fair. But Fair. it would be very funny to ask her about it and make her... One of my favorite
0: bits in Bandsplain, the podcast, mm-hmm. by Yassi Solek, which is one of my faves, is that when she's, like, telling the biography of every band, she, like, insists on doing everyone's Zodiac sign and she introduces them. And, like, her and the guest, whether they want to or not, yeah. they have to have chat about whether it makes sense that, like, Robert Smith is whatever or, like, <laughs> Hope Sandoval is whatever. Um <laughs>
1: I was saying, I'll, like, I'll explain the rest of the story a, a different time to you, but I was saying to someone recently, I was like, oh, I, like, knew that you were a Capricorn. And he was nice. like, no, you nice. didn't. And you don't even know what that means. <laughs> but you're right. I, I You're absolutely right. I'm just drunk and, like, learned a new fact. So
0: <laughs> Well, that's the energy that we need to bring to the segments. And most of all, Danielle Dossier, what do we got?
1: Danielle Dossier is quick this week. It's mostly like, Mm. I can't believe that Nina is dead before Martha. And I want to believe that Martha's death is coming. (laughs) But the other thing is that I feel like like an interesting puzzle is like, will Paige tell Stan? Now, I don't think that she will, but it's like, how Mm -hmm. close will she get to spilling the beans or to like revealing something, and how bad at his job will Stan be? Like, how will those things hang in the balance? Feels like a new tension that's introduced now.
0: Because It's a wonderful dossier tension. She's
1: she's afraid. She thinks Stan knows something, and he doesn't know Mm -hmm. shit.
0: (laughs) Nope, nothing.
1: But that's really all I've got in the dossier this week.
0: Does the resolution, or lack thereof, with regards to Tim and Alice, change your dossier theories about the their future or lack thereof
1: yes but i think that pastor tim i i like trying to run pastor tim feels like interesting so Mm -hmm. i feel like that's gonna be an interesting challenge but i can't see elizabeth like putting up with it for all that long (laughs) so i still think maybe this motherfucker dies in whatever part of africa he was like taking a mission Kenya. to visit. Kenya. They're that's trying to right. go to Kenya, yeah. Let's dive into Gloss. I feel like the first thing in Gloss is just, like, so many dreams, memories, yep. hallucinations, like we said, in this season, but also, like, in this episode we get a dream and a, and a hallucination slash memory.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, like, there's a way in which... Like, everything that happens with Oleg is real, as far as we know. But there's just, like, there's some weird elements to him and his dad. So I'll just point out that, like, there's, like, a way in which, like, Oleg is, like, returning to his own past and flashbacking. Because he is so heavily identified with being a KGB agent in yeah. the US and the especially the US part of that that there's a certain way in which he's like has to have a flashback to like the reality of his life actually when he is back in Moscow in addition to the fact that his like mother is grieving right. his brother has died yeah
1: right and like the the thing that's like striking in the exchange with his father again does not look like his father Um, is that he's like, I have to go finish my tour in America. And his dad is like, uh, no, you don't. We literally lost our other son. So you're staying here. And, and that had like not even crossed Oleg's mind. And that's like, it shows the degree of alienation or like separation Mm -hmm. that he feels from like his family or his past. That, like, I think we are aware of because we've, like, encountered and engaged with him in the American context for so long. But it's, like, interesting to see it back in Russia. Like, I feel like there are two ways that it could have gone. Like, being back in Russia puts him back in the, like, I am Russian, blah, blah, blah Mm -hmm. of it all. Mm -hmm. Or it's, like, Mm -hmm. being back in Russia, like, amplifies the, like, oh, my God, being in America is so much better. And, like, that, Oleg and his, like, hockey games and whatnot, like... Blondie concerts, yeah. Yeah. It's not surprising that that's where he
0: he ends up. Another thing in Glass, I think that's worth mentioning. We touched on this a little bit earlier that like you know you identified what does William bring emotionally to the show in our discussion there, but he also like sensibility wise brings something else. It's like he enables the writers of the show to like be a little more humorous, yeah, because he's just full of like dry, deadpan, caustic like, gallows humor yeah. in general, in this episode in particular, um, like, from the very beginning, right? Like, the, essentially the first scene of the episode, right? From, you know, he cuts the phone line and, oh my like, God. throws stuff in a trash bag and all of that. Um, and then they're, like, back in the apartment and he's cracking jokes from from that moment on.
1: I'm sorry, but, like, William's, like, cleanliness obsession is a real, like... We are in the first month of COVID vibes. Like I'm yeah. scrubbing everything down. We are
0: disinfecting groceries. Yeah,
1: I have a friend who, like, until maybe last month, was like leaving groceries outside in his garage for multiple days. <laughs> Just like, like that, that level that William brings. Like, there's the the intent. His intensity is is like matched by the dryness of his delivery and i think you're right yeah. like that there is something it's unlocking something different um than than other characters before and like even though just like as a human i'm like this dude is insufferable but also like it's kind of perfect It, it it's a perfect balance for uh, Philip and Elizabeth. I'm still laughing at the fact that Philip chased him down and, like, spit in his face. <laughs> spat on his face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Philip got some humor out of that as yeah.
1: <laughs> well.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to talk about Henry? Uh, you want to talk about why you don't want to talk about I Henry? I just
1: don't care. Like, Henry is, like, the least interesting character in this entire show. The only thing that's interesting is the, like, was Henry in this episode? And, like, Henry was in more of this episode than I wanted him to be in. Um, but the part of the episode that's interesting, right, is, like, once again, Henry is, like, searching for Dad. Even when Dad's home, he's searching for Daddy Stan, so,
0: like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he had, like, more bro time with Stan to ask how you ask a girl out, which leads him to ask uh, Stan oh, how he met Sandy. And, like, yeah, I mean, Stan, like, starts off, like, chuckly bro mode yeah. and ends in, like, the like his extreme sad boy state by the so end of sad telling boy. the story. Um, and I thought it was actually really, like, that was a great Noah Emmerich scene. Yeah, no, um, I, yes. And, and also it was amusing <laughs> that, like, Stan tells the story and then ends up in his like typical sad about sandy situation followed by him asking henry don't you ever talk to your dad about this stuff
1: no cuz my dad's not around and he's a spy <laughs> cuz my,
0: my dad is you <laughs>
1: <laughs> i do <laughs>
0: <laughs> See for example, Hi.
1: right now it's me. Right, literally I literally, I'm the problem. Yeah. It's me. <laughs> but the other part of this that I wanted to just like like note Please. is that Stan's like, oh yeah, and by the way, like Matthew's moving back in. It's like what? A few nights a week, yeah. Okay, I guess like sure. Stan will have two sons now. My two sons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe if he's like a partial parent to both of them together, that adds up to he is a one, he is one unit of parenting.
1: And my question Boy is math. like, yeah, we don't we don't ever really get to see or like we haven't so far really ever gotten to see Stan as Matthew's dad so much because also like Matthew's a teenager and like he yeah. l- like is out of he leaves pretty early on in the run of the show, but like and then doesn't let Stan be his dad for whenever we do see him. But so I'm, like, interested to see whether or not Stan is good at his job as a dad at all, or if he's just, like, good at his job as a pseudo-dad when the comparison is Philip where the bar is the floor. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Do you want to make any Matthew coming back dossier predictions?
1: I mean, him and Paige are definitely going to fuck,
0: right? Like, that's got to be what (laughs) happens. (laughs) I I love that. That's immediately where you went to. I was kind of hoping that's where you would go, and I was like, "Wait, this, this is like a like a trap." And I'm like,
1: "Did not miss a
0: beat." Downsworth you know, like went straight for it. I love it. I love it. Wow. Oh, I love it so much. Um. All right. Sillier stuff in glass, because definitely it can't get you know that was extremely serious. Was um. I I enjoyed like the Matthew Reese Phillips scruffiness. Yeah in this episode like somehow our dude like is gone for two days sleeping in camp beds and his hair has grown like a half <laughs> an inch and like 79 percent curlier Listen. just in the span of two days without a brush
1: here's the thing though john i know that you want to laugh about this but i totally feel philip in the like oh the hair gel has worn off the like The materials that I place in my hair to control Mm. it are not existing. Like, you're seeing my hair now with nothing in it, and it's wild. And so, like, I totally know the feeling of, like, oh, I woke up and suddenly my hair is 75 feet from my head, (laughs) and I don't even have that much hair, so, like, I feel Philip in this moment. (laughs) Fair. 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 Any other notes on the apartment? Oh, my God. Well, you mentioned the camp beds, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, there's something about, like, also, like, wh- wh- who has camp beds? Like, what's happening here? Is there a bedroom <laughs> in this apartment? What is the layout? What is the floor It's bed? probably just a studio apartment, right? Like,
0: that's what it is? There's, mo- there's more than one room, though. But like, it's- where's Will- where is William sleeping is also a question. Like...
1: But it's like it's more than one room, except that it's like one room that opens into another room, right? So it like yeah, it, yeah, it's like it's
0: like shotgun style, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you style, though. Like
1: yeah. the all of the apartment stuff is just like wild, and then like William in the apartment is a whole other thing. Or he's oh, he's got so many like trinkets and boxes and, <laughs> and like cases. Look, he had who's it's and seven, what's
0: it's galore. He had. Seven boxes, like, 48 packs of medical trash bags, so he was ready to fucking go. No hazmat suit, no, plenty of medical trash bags. No
1: hazmat suit, but, like, where—no masks? Like, nothing. like what? No masks. But so many no gloves. Masks. So many gloves, <laughs> and for what? If the rest of your body is, like, is dealing with, like—the glanders is in the air, except that it's not. <laughs> this is, like, my— <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're back to PizzaGate, Danielle,
1: <laughs> this is my most conspiracy. The Americans this is my most conspiracy theory era that I've like ever been in. <laughs>
0: I'm here for that. I'm here for
1: that. Um, should we do uh, borrowed nostalgia? I suppose, I suppose
0: so. I loved Stan bringing his Polaroid with him. It was actually a good at his job moment, right? Because, like, you know, like, of course, like, I, I thought, you know, the first time was like, oh, he is, you know, taking pictures to, like, take back with him to FBI headquarters. But no, it's to make sure. And I'm like, why would you need a Polaroid for that? Isn't a film camera smaller? But then I was like, duh, of course, Stan being good at his job here is taking Polaroid so he can make sure everything gets set back. Correctly,
1: Stan vis a vis Martha is when he's the best at his job. Mm, he's great still point. not good at his job, but he's the best at his job when it comes to Martha. Because if he were good at his job, Fair. he would have realized that the Amer- that <laughs> the Jennings are spies. <laughs> 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 anyway, yeah. Um, I <laughs> the answering machine of cutting off Martha. It feels mm-hmm. very... That, and, like, also even just, like, the phone with the cord. Like, that phone also felt very 80s.
0: Comedic episode timing to cut Martha off where they did. Yeah, I agree. It's like, she finishes a sentence and clearly wants another sentence, but, like, they cut her off, and, but it was a perfect ending, and, like, a nice... I thought it was a nice moment.
1: Yeah, well, and I would also just say, in general, like, phones in this episode feel very 80s. The yeah. payphone is also, like... Listen, absent like Bonnie Honig's public things. I haven't seen or thought about a payphone in like twenty years. Although I did used to call my mom collect from swim practice to be like, "When are you coming to get me?" Love that for
0: you. <laughs> this is uh, this is just for one of us. Um, but uh, like The Wire is what I think of when I think of TV show prestige TV TV and payphones.
1: Haven't but, seen it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No surprise that there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um, you have Martha's gun Uh, on this list, and you are welcome to It's just so
1: tiny. It's so tiny, and, like, there's something about the, like, old-schoolness of it that feels very 80s. Like, I don't know, I feel like if somebody had, like, a handgun in their underwear drawer, which also feels very 80s, but had that today, it would be, like, a little bit more, uh... It would be, like, a little bit less, like, this is a gun from a Western set, and a little bit more, like... (laughs) I mean, we are published experts on <laughs>
0: guns in America, so we we do speak with authority on the matter.
1: I literally forgot about that till right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed Oleg's sweater yeah. when he is in his dad's apartment. It's like it's like a nice like heathered kind of cream situation. Yeah. He's got a nice purple polo or some sort of collared something underneath. Um, and I thought it was a good fit for our guy. Ghost Ronan was looking good in that sweater.
1: Yeah. You have, I want to let you, uh, <laughs> tee up the next one, because this is such a great one.
0: <laughs> I have no doubt this happens today, but to me there's something quintessentially 80s about, like, uh, the creepiest fucking asking someone out in the office in the middle of the workday just strikes me as that they, surely they were doing that all the time in the 80s.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, like we're not afraid of sexual harassment like
0: <laughs> they they definitely are not
1: and that like that Adderholt says it to Stan that neither of them balk and are like, oh, like, sh- is this like really the most appropriate way to like go about this thing? Like, no one blinks an eye. So, yeah, this is aggressively 80s. Um, yeah. And especially when like we already had the Amador of it all yes. from like the oh, first God, season and the that.
0: Amador Martha situation. Um, RIP. Like, Martha, <laughs> yeah, our poor one out for our guy. Um, yeah. So, Martha can't. Apparently, avoid being asked out at work by FBI bros.
1: <sighs> oh, Martha. She also drinks a bottle and a half of wine before her date.
0: <laughs> Iconic. Which
1: is maybe not exclusively 80s, but does feel very like, oh God, this is awkward because I'm going out with someone from the office who I don't want to go out with, but I'm afraid that they're going to like put me in jail, so I guess I have to do it. Like... <laughs> There's a lot of layers <laughs> happening there. She's got to like.
0: There sure are. She's got
1: to smooth out her own brain before she goes on that <laughs> date.
0: And steal herself to like. To give the, all the lines she gives to Adderold about this married guy she's seeing.
1: Oh my God. Which is like. I, delivering all that drunk feels wild. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs>
0: Me neither. I mean, I, we both established we're both terrible spies, but terrible.
1: But I this is an
0: area I would especially fail at. Uh,
1: being a spy on a date that I didn't want to be on and drunk. I do think that you could, that if you weren't drunk, I think you could pull it the off. The drunk part is like, I'm drunk after like three sips of wine. <laughs> People kept giving me their tickets at the, this happy hour that I was at on Friday night. They were like, oh, we're leaving early. Like, here's your ticket. And I'm, like, standing with a friend of mine who's sober. And he's like, well, I can't do anything with these tickets. And I was like, well, I shouldn't be the one getting the tickets because, like, I definitely don't need any more than a glass of wine. (laughs) I need the least amount of these tickets.
0: (laughs) I mean, I departed APT with a drink ticket still in my lanyard. So
1: Jenny and Menica were giving me their tickets because they were both pregnant. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was, I, which was fine because at APT, like I was definitely not, not drinking the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we haven't recorded an episode since APT.
0: <laughs> I know, right? That was a long time ago, almost a month. Wild. Lots, lots happened in, 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 in both of our lives since then. I can't. I literally can't I li- oh, some of it APT related. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: we are gonna move Music. On. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna call me out on that. No. Thank you. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the music. No, because uh-huh. if I call
1: you out, you can call me out. We don't wanna do that on this podcast. <laughs>
0: That's true, this, Music. this is our this is our solidarity. <laughs> um, <laughs> There are two songs that are used like to great effect in this uh, in this episode. Neither of which, like I could have placed. We've got "Misty Blue" by Dorothy Moore. We've got "Lucky Number" by Lean or Lenny Lovich.
1: Great drops. Did not recognize either of these songs. Did not recognize either of them. All right, minor character of the week time. Yeah, Oleg's dad. Go for it, um, yeah. Igor Pavlovich Burov. I'll let you. <laughs> Tell us who it's, Igor Pavlovich Burov. Yeah. yeah. I'll let you tell us who he's played by.
0: I love this name so much. <laughs> played by Boris Krotunag. Krutuneg is just a perfect last name.
1: Again, I think Oleg's dad is, like, 18. But, like... <laughs> but beyond that, I'm, I, like, loved this character. And the interaction... Like, the interaction between Oleg and his dad was just, like, so good that I had to give it to him.
0: Uh, so I'm, I'm working on the list right now. So got a both-and situation here. Okay. Because Boris Krutunog is 19 years older than Kosta Ronan.
1: Okay. He looks like so, a young 19 years older than him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ex- ex- exactly. Question mark. Um, so the first IMDb photo um, of Boris Krutunog is... Is like a cast party from the Americans and it's Annette Mahendru, Boris Kratunug and Costa Rona. Aww. And it's just an adorable picture. So we love. We love that. Yeah, we're into yeah. it. Um sad considering what happened in this episode. Oh. But yeah, um o- o- o dad, I is great. Um I think like Boris Kratunag is really excellent at playing the precise kind of like I am very, very, very much a bureaucrat who is high up in the Soviet Union and I have genuine emotional care at least yeah. for my son and maybe for my wife like he actually does that pretty well I
1: think I no I agree I I totally agreed my like quips about his age are have nothing to do with like the even in the in the short amount of time he's on screen there's like weight there's weight to what he's offering Yeah and so I like I thought he was wonderful
0: All right Boris we we're, we're a fan All right it's that time Danielle just
1: a whole hour and 32 minutes in it's time for the cave <laughs> well it's time for the official cave <laughs> right exactly
0: <laughs> full smooth brain cave all right so Danielle um, correctly I believe has directed us to to me to scroll around within book five yeah um, and then just, book five of it's the obviously Republic. play-doh season. Yes is is there any other book five? Um,
1: well, you ask a so, right, and, like apparently the book five of the laws is like where it's at and it's like no super one cares important.
0: super important all right I am scrolling Daniel. you tell me when I'm stopping Stop. around in book five. okay, give me a letter e e all right, so we are in four sixty nine e okay I'm gonna start in D okay uh, so this is Socrates he's talking to Glaucon. Doesn't it seem illiberal and oh I can't believe this is up? doesn't it seem illiberal and greedy to plunder a corpse and the mark of a small womanish mind to hold the enemy to be the body of the dead enemy who's flown away and left behind that with which he fought? Would you suppose that the men who do this are any different from the dogs who are harsh with the stones thrown at them, but don't touch the one who is throwing them?
1: I have no recollection of
0: this from the republic. This
1: is definitely not a part of the republic I give a shit about, but the fact that we're like talking about corpses does feel super relevant. It's Nina. And yeah, it's like so Nina and like it's it's the the body of a corpse and like the small womanish mind just feels like so unbelievably relevant to nina but then also i think to the way in which in terms of when you're when you're thinking in terms of like patriotism and loyalty right like it does feel like this is precisely the way that a like one power would portray their enemy right like as a means to justify sort of the actions undertaken against that enemy and so like in an episode where like questions of patriotism come up in I think somewhat profound ways right and like and For sure. the consequences of them are like laid out and particularly on Nina's body but I wouldn't I think she's yes. not the only body that they're laid out upon yes. Like, it's yeah. really interesting to have this quote about the, like, the way, sort of the way we treat the corpses of enemies and their, like, like small, feminine, impish brains. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, like, I, I still cannot remember why they're talking about, like, the Greeks and the barbarians in this part of the I Republic. I think this is the but part like, where
1: they're talking about the, like, because in this book it's, like, it's the women and children in common, but it's all about like yep. the strengthening the relationship between the guardians. And so I suspect oh, that this is yeah, like yeah, part yeah. of the discussion of like the sanctity of that relationship and like the why we need to strengthen the relationship. Like it's yep. it's okay. Because it's about like the guardians themselves. I think
0: that's right now that you say that like, you jogs my memory. And like I I enjoy your reading of it and I in a couple of different ways, there's, like, it's not that Nina's corpse is plundered, but it's, like, the anti-plunder yeah. of it and, like, the literal wrapping it up in the officialdom of, yeah. the, like, the camera observing after she gets executed, like, in the moment, like, I think is the... Actual camera engaging in the like small, ambitious, patriotic loyalty brain um, itself, and so like I think there's a little bit of that happening, and like we joked about it earlier, but there's also a whole like banality of evil to like this small mind uh, notion here. That I think is perhaps coming through, and I feel fine indulging in this since we are now officially in the cave um, <laughs> to like stack the R end on top of the Play-Doh.
1: But it's also so wild that this is the quote that we came, that we got to in book five when like so much so, the meaty stuff in book five right is like. The community of women and children, community of property, Mm -hmm. like, et cetera, et cetera. The discussion of, like, the fact that women are, by by all other, all means besides strength, equal, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's so much of that. And, like, this lengthy discussion of, like, how we design a system of procreation so that you're not sleeping with your relatives, but but that you're also not, like, possessive of the person you're sleeping with like which has some like interesting tendrils that reach out towards the Martha stuff and like anyway there's a lot Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. book that is relevant this is not what I was thinking about when I was like this is where we should go but I like that it took us here.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's some extreme like Plato boy math happening in the like procreation <laughs> scheme, and there's like ratios and numbers. Totally, and they fuck up the like breeding ratios and the numbers, and that's part of the downfall. And, it's honestly
1: yeah. wild. Um, Let's Oof. listen. A shorter cave, but it's not a bad thing. Let's do theory yeah. ships. <laughs> it's shorter it's not a bad thing she said an
0: hour and 35 minutes into this podcast I
1: think this is the shortest cave we've ever done it was four minutes
0: <laughs> fair
1: it's the least I've ever had to say about Plato
0: <laughs> yeah it's I don't have much to say about that passage as we burned I couldn't even remember but that's okay that was
1: there we've got some yeah, Some. can't win them all can't win them all
0: even with the, this is why the
1: game. this is why we play the game the way we do <laughs> this is why I skipped book ten of the Republic. So this don't is care. why I skipped this part of book five. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't, I don't assign this part of book five. I don't give a shit. <laughs> don't tell the Straussians. <laughs> they're too busy reading they're too busy reading things like like kleidophon which apparently is like another platonic dialogue that no one's ever heard of don't
0: never heard of that one literally this is literally my job and i've never heard of it i
1: know that this is like not related to this episode but i just need to say it but like the thing that is so crazy about the like straussian obsession with the laws is like did plato even write the laws did Plato even exist? Anyway.
0: <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> this is this. I never quite realized it until this very moment. But the like. Did Plato actually write this? Did Plato actually exist? Is, like, conspiracy Danielle meets theorist Danielle meets anti-Straussian Danielle. Like, that's where you all come together. This is
1: my—I tell my students this. Well, because students will ask me, why do you keep saying Socrates says, Socrates says, why don't you ever say Plato says? And I'm like, does Plato say it? They're like, well, Plato writes it. I'm like, did he? Did he? (laughs) And I'm like this is kind of a conspiracy. and i I have to say, like i I definitely like ran with it, but Joel planted that seed in my brain because Joel, in his book, What would Socrates do, doesn't ever say Plato wrote. He'll say like Plato's Socrates or Socrates, Socrates said, but like he never writes like Plato argued, right? Because, like we don't actually, I mean, we don't know where Plato is in the dialogue. We often want to put Plato... We often want to put, like, Plato in the mouth of Socrates, right? Like, that that's often where we want to locate him. But, like, I I don't know. I don't know that we could do that and, like, absolutely know that that's where, where Plato's own, like, argumentative position sits.
0: Yeah, that's... That's the like the sophisticated and nuanced take, <laughs> and this is where I reveal that I'm a bad political theorist because when I teach the Republic, I say we could spend the next four weeks just talking about who the author of this book is, but we're not going to do that, and we're just going to assume that play we can say Plato said, <gasps> and like I just I just skip the whole thing. But I partially do that because I'm setting them up for, like, r- revealing the Straussian reading, like, somewhere in the book four, five, six range. Yeah. So I'm a little bit, like, robodoping the situation.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, it's I'm, – I'm getting to the same – like, we're getting in the same place, right? And also for, like, students that this is their first time reading The Republic, reading Plato, reading Plato with one of us, it's not the most pressing thing, right?
0: It's hard enough to read Plato as is, even if it's like we can say that the, what Socrates' character says is just what Plato said yeah. and thought and believed and wrote.
1: Yeah, yeah, and
0: and existed.
1: And I also like I don't I don't have them write like argumentative essays about about the Republic, like because that's not the way my class is structured. And part mm-hmm. of it is because like I don't want to have to make them like navigate this stuff in their in their writing. Yeah, it's for like yeah people like me to bullshit about. <laughs>
0: No, not bullshit about it. Listen. Uh, this, this us talking about uh, making fun of the laws and Straussians is bullshitting about Plato. Uh, you do actual scholarship.
1: Not on Plato. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, who are we shipping this week?
1: Okay, so I want to give a little bit.
0: Speaking of Plato, <laughs> loves a ship metaphor, that guy.
1: Somebody this weekend was like, didn't Plato have a ship of fools? And I was like, why are we talking about this? <sighs> <laughs> It's my fucking fever dream. Um anyway, does love a ship metaphor. So I am giving I am shipping uh Lauren Berlone uh cruel optimism to Oleg and part of it is just because that dude is holding on to the fantasy of Nina staying alive Ugh. and like coming back yeah. to him. In a really mm-hmm. in a way that becomes even more depressing at the end of the episode, but even when he's like dad Help me out, and his dad's like, "She's literally a state trader," and he's like, "Please," and then his dad's like, "Well, I could try to do it, but you got to stay home." He's like, "Okay, cool, I'll do that." The episode ends with Nina's (sighs) death, so like, cruel optimism feels even before.
0: Yeah, even before Nina's death, that's a cruel optimism. The like, I will stay in Russia, which is actually the obstacle to flourishing for Oleg's flourishing.
1: Exactly. So like the the fantasy of Nina. Uh, feels like itself an obstacle to f- flourishing, which be- which is revealed to be even more so by the end of the episode. That's yeah. what I got. It's
0: a great ship. What's your ship? This one's a mean one. Um, we love I'm a mean one. I apologize on several levels for what I'm about to do. I am, apology one, shipping a gombin to, apology two, Nina's ghost. Um, <laughs>
1: and
0: that is... Uh, and and Oleg, because for some of the reasons you just identified with Oleg, but, like, the Sovereign is the one who can declare homo soccer is just so visibly, uh, visibly, like, and dramatically and striking. Danielle is so pissed right now. No,
1: I just keep <laughs> wanting to be, like, homo soccer or homo sylvie soccer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is is Nina homo sylvie soccer of the Americans?
1: No, but she is homo soccer. <laughs> she's not homo sylvie soccer because she's not like hanging out in, at a mcdonald's on another timeline
0: <laughs> so i've heard
1: uh- <laughs> john but, not watching season yeah. two of loki <laughs>
0: extremely not uh, <laughs> not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean like but like this is the kind of paradigm of killed but not sacrificed, yeah. right? The way that Nina is executed at the end. So, I mean, it's it's obvious, but it's there. And it's like, tells us about sovereignty and like sovereign bureaucracies that like execute sovereign decisions, I think, uh, very much so. But then to to give, just in case I wasn't going to be allowed to do a gomp and I had a second like one. Like I would stop in um, My second one. <laughs> I feel like you're like... A half a second away from stopping me ever mentioning a Gombin's name ever again on the pod. No,
1: I believe Every that time. my response to you being like, I wanna do a Gombin was like, Yeah, fucking do a Gombin. You made me read that shit all summer. Like, <laughs> we better get more out of it. I did. I'll kill someone. Right.
0: <laughs> I had to I had to re watch Loki. You had to read a Gombin. This was a fair trade.
1: My life was worse. <laughs> no. Definitely not. You definitely a had take. a worse time.
0: <laughs> hot take. Uh, um, <laughs> That is on an equivalent level of take with Glander's Pizzagate (laughs) QAnon takes.
1: I still hate the word Glander's so much. (laughs) We've said it so many... I hate the word Glander's as much as Keller hates Band.
0: (laughs) Oh, he... This is... That's the real estate. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ship also Bonnie Honig's Political Theory and the Displacement of Politics to Joel and Joe. So to the... to showrunners of the the Americans because of... There's a certain way in which, like, we were starting to get to this with Is Spying and MLM last episode, i.e. six weeks ago. And um, there's a sense in which I think that the isolation bottle episode nature of this like speaks to something we've touched on lightly here and there. And that is the way in which, um, spying is anti-political mm. or like displacing of politics. And so I think that we give them some old school Haneg and they can just further refine that point.
1: I love this. I all, I want to add a silly Haneg.
0: <laughs> Please.
1: Um, I think we need to give William Bonnie's public things. Where she has like a whole discourse on payphones. It's like yeah. the most political theory of payphones anybody's ever offered. <laughs> so. And then
0: he can watch in advance before it came comes out. Melancholia. <laughs>
1: I had. Melancholia, which is not Elizabeth Town. <laughs> Did I tell you this? That those no. Uh, because Melancholia know. is Kirsten Dunst, right?
0: It is, correct, yeah. In
1: my brain, Melancholia and Elizabethtown, which is also Kirsten Dunst, it's like a weird, like sad kind of small-town romance with like, Kirsten Dunst and Orlando Bloom. But like okay. that's what I thought Melancholia was. <laughs> Okay. So I was like, why is why are all these people writing about this dumb movie well that's like a romance in in a small town? Like, who cares? Now, I also feel like who cares about Lars von Trier movies? Like, as you know, Fair. a million percent there's way too much obsession with them in political in the political theory world, but like I could not for the life of me understand this like sad romance movie being like fodder for so much political theory.
0: I have to admit, I do fucking love Melancholia so much.
1: I've never seen it. <laughs>
0: Here's my proposal. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going. I saw
1: the, like, circles in your eyes start to move. <laughs> like, cartoon part, style. <laughs> part
0: one of the plan, watch Scandaval. Part two, podcast about Scandaval. Part three, Tajines. Part four, we watch Melancholia. Part five, we podcast Melancholia at midnight under a full moon.
1: I mean, in, done, but like part something of the plan needs to be get tattoos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, obviously.
0: Okay. That's like that's like the the prerequisite <laughs> okay. for the whole. That's the condition of possibility <laughs> for the rest of the plan.
1: Oh my god, I love this so much. That's
0: that. I'm assuming that is where you thought I was going. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Obama, I was like, as it was coming okay.
1: out of my All mouth, right. I was like, this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um We have come to the end of this episode. I think that is a fair statement. We are at an hour and fifty minutes. Um, this feels less unhinged, though, than the last episode we recorded.
0: It's fucking miracle.
1: <laughs> Which, I mean, again, the bar's the floor. So, like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a Sean Hanleyism. Sean Hanley loves uh, bars the floor and reach for the lowest rung. Uh,
0: <laughs> I support this.
1: Thank you, as always, to producer Amy. Um, up next in two weeks in the feed. Is American season four episode five, Clark's place, which is like sofa beds
0: galore. (laughs) It's this is where Martha confronts Clark about you got to get a real bed, my guy. If we're gonna stay here, that's the if we're gonna do the commentary for here,
1: we need a real bed. Bed actual Ben, (laughs) um
0: and we're gonna maybe have a guest for this episode so
1: we will hopefully have a recurring guest a um not quite great books all-star lily Gorin, um joining us for that episode so stay tuned for that and thank you once again for joining us on another episode of not quite great books the tv podcast
0: joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast, created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at Not Great Books TV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Les FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some rocketball.